Okay, we are reading in First uh, Samuel. We're just finishing up First Samuel chapter ten, and it says in First Samuel chapter ten, verse twenty-five. Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom, and wrote them in a book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. Saul went also to his house, to Gibeah, and valiant men rose whose hearts God had touched went with him. But certain worthless men said, How can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present. But he kept silent. So after Saul had been proclaimed that this was going to be your new king, it says that that, um, there were some whose God's heart had touched. And they followed, and they were standing behind this. This is what, what Samuel the prophet had spoken, and this is what they were going to follow. There was another group that resented what Samuel the prophet had spoken, and they despised, they despised Saul. But Saul showed humility, and he said nothing about it. And in fact, this is a, a case where Saul shows humility, he shows humility again at, at, uh, uh, at another instance, but then there's a change in Saul's life. Fundamentally, there was a change that came about. But let's pick it up because I want to focus in now on chapter 11, verse 1. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition, that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and thus make it a reproach in all of Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Let us alone for seven days that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, And spoke these words in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and he said, What's the matter with the people? With the people that they weep. So they related to him the words of the people of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And he numbered them in Bezek. And the sons of Israel were three hundred thousand, and the men of Judah thirty thousand. Then they said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. So the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh. And they were glad. Okay, so this King Nahash is an Ammonite. And it says later on in in verse verse 12, in, in chapter 12, verse 12, that Nahash was king of the Ammonites. He came out and he besieged this land of Jabesh Gilead, which is on the east of the Jordan. So it's on the outskirts of where, of the land of Israel. And these were Israelites. And he besieged it and... They wanted to make peace. They wanted no war with this man. They weren't, were not a fighting people, that particular people especially. 
And Nahash said, the only condition is this, that I'm able to gouge out the right eye of every one of you. And this was to make the men ineffective in battle. So they couldn't shoot an arrow, they couldn't throw a spear. And it, there were other writings, there are extra-biblical writings, and in fact it's also in the Dead Sea Scrolls that, that this King Nahash had done this to all the different lands east of the Jordan. He had taken them over and gouged out the right eye of everyone that he had taken over. And the elders of Jabosh said, Let us alone for seven days, that we may send messengers into the territory of Israel, and if they'll come to deliver us, fine. If not, if, if, they, if they don't come to deliver us, we'll come out to you. You would say, well, why would, why would Nahash, the Ammonite king, make such an agreement, allowing them to go and get their brothers from Israel, their, 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 their uh, Israeli brothers from, from the west side of the Jordan? And that's because Nahash had a predicament here. It was either to set up a long siege to get into the city, which can take months and even years at times, or seven days without any loss of life of his own people. So he said, okay, I'm willing to wait seven days because the people of Jabesh Gilead had not yet heard that there was a king in Israel. News didn't travel on Twitter. You didn't know where, where, where information was coming from. And they hadn't yet heard. And Nahash hadn't yet heard there was a king. There had been no centralized government in all of Israel. There had been no formal government, so he probably thought, who's going to come out here and help these folks? Plus, the people of, of Nahash, uh, of Jabesh Gilead, were, were in some ways a despised people, because in the end of the book of Judges, it talks about them. It talks about them in, in Judges chapter 21. There had been a battle against the tribe of Benjamin in the end of the book of Judges, because the tribe of Benjamin had committed a great sin, and the rest of Israel had all come against Benjamin, and almost wiped them out totally. There was only one group that didn't come against Benjamin, and that was this people of Jabesh Gilead. Now why would the people of Jabesh Gilead go to Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, if they didn't know that there was a king in Israel named Saul? Well, there was a blood relationship between Jabesh Gilead and the tribe of Benjamin. Because in, in, in Judges chapter 21, it talks about how when judgment had come upon the, the tribe of Benjamin, there were so few people left, there weren't even enough women left alive for the few remaining men. There were only about you know 500 or so men left in the entire tribe of Benjamin. And that's why... For the rest of history, Benjamin remained a small tribe because it was nearly wiped out at the end of the book of Judges. And so what they did, what the rest of Israel did, is they said, well, these men from Jabesh Gilead never fought on our side against Benjamin, so go and take 400 women, 400 virgins from Jabesh Gilead, bring them to Benjamin, let them be wives for the men of Benjamin. So there was a blood relationship now. The women of Benjamin had come from Jabesh Gilead. So Jabesh Gilead is going to appeal to people that are of their own blood. to Say, come and help us. We're being attacked by Nahash. Well, lo and behold, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, is where Saul is. And so Saul was coming out from the field behind the oxen because to this point, kingship did not dictate royalty in, this, in the sense of having a palace and 
a big infrastructure. Now that Saul was about to perform his first act as a king, in other words, have a battle, then the whole thing changes. So Saul is coming in from the field, and he's behind his oxen, and it says in in verse 4 that Gibeah of Saul, it used to be Gibeah of Benjamin, and now that Saul has come from there, they've renamed it to Gibeah of Saul. And so Saul is coming out, and he says, what's the matter with the people? Why do they weep? And so they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then it says in verse 6, Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. And it says he took the, the oxen and he killed them, and he sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers. And it says by the hand of messengers. In fact, in the Hebrew it says the hand of the messengers. There's the definite article, the messengers. So it means the same messengers that came in the beginning of chapter 11. These are the same messengers that had, came, that had come from Jabesh to Benjamin. The same messengers were to carry these oxen and pieces of the oxen throughout Israel and say, whoever does not come, King Saul is going to make sure that your oxen look like the same if you don't come and fight this battle with us. And then it says in verse 8, And he numbered them in Bezek, the sons of Israel, were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. So already they're separating Israel from Judah. And so it's on this basis. So, so this event where Nahash comes and attacks the Ammonites is believed to occur in 1043 B.C. It wasn't until... So you had Saul, King Saul, then you had King David, then you had Solomon, and then you had Rehoboam. Solomon's son. It was under, I'm I'm sorry, yes, it was under Rehoboam that the kingdom finally divided. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom being all the, the ten tribes, the southern kingdom being just Judah and little Benjamin, very small, so sometimes it wasn't even named. So many people think that this book of Samuel was written after the partition between the northern and the southern kingdom because already they're making a separation between Israel and Judah. But already in David's time, in the time of David, there was a separation between speaking about Israel and Judah because Judah, because the, the, the land of Judah was somewhat special because David had come from there, but also because in in, in Genesis chapter 49, in Genesis chapter 49, it talks about how the scepter is going to rise from the tribe of Judah. And so even back in Genesis, there was a specialness to Judah, so already they had been separating it. So it may not be that this book was written in the time of Rehoboam, but it may have been written in the time of David, for example, because already there was a distinguishing. So there were 300,000 men from all of Israel, 30,000 from Judah. And so the, the, these, uh, these servants came out. And then this battle was to, to, uh, to begin. And so you see in verse 9, They said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. So the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh Gilead, and they were glad. Then the men of Jabesh Gilead said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, in verse 10, 
to do, and you do to us whatever seems good to you. The next morning, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the middle, midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. And the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men here, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the people of Israel rejoiced greatly. So, what happened was, then Saul gathers these people, and he goes and he tells these messengers from Jabesh Gilead, he said, you go back, and you go tell the people, by this time tomorrow they'll have deliverance. I mean, the man was deeply confident. So the messengers go back and they say to Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, tomorrow by this time we'll come out to you. And then you do to us whatever, whatever you like. So there was subterfuge here. They, they said, you know, tomorrow we'll come out, but we'll see what's going to happen when we come out. Do to us whatever you'd like to do tomorrow at this time. So they go back into the city and, Jav, and, and Nahash thinks they're coming out the next day. Now this was the second time that the Ammonites had tried to get their land back that they had lost from the time the Israelites were first moving in. It had happened again in the book of Judges where, where, where they had tried to get their land back, but in fact they were defeated by Jephthah. This was the second time they get, tried to get their land back. Nahash, interestingly enough, ends up making a covenant with King David later on. And you say, well, why would King David make a covenant with Nahash, king of the Ammonites? Well, it's this. Remember, Saul, King Saul started warring against David. Saul had warred against Nahash, so David and Nahash made a covenant together. Later on, it talks about that in the book of Samuel. But how does Saul attack? Saul obviously was reading the scriptures. Saul was reading the book of Judges, because the attack that he planned was exactly the same attack as was planned in the book of Judges. So he did very much like Gideon did. In Judges 7.16, it talks about how Gideon divided his troops into three different groups. And this is exactly what Saul did. Saul divided his people in verse 11. Then the next morning, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came in the midst of the camp at the morning watch. And this is again what Abimelech did in the book of Judges. Abimelech, had in, in, in Judges chapter 9, had also divided his troops into three companies and had come at the morning watch. This is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Just as it's beginning to get light, he attacked the, the Ammonites and he struck them down so much so that not two of them could run away together. But we know that Nahash ends up surviving. Nahash is not defeated because we know that that later on in 2, Samuel, in 2 Samuel 10, verses 1 and 2, it talks about this covenant, this agreement that David had had with the king of, uh, of the Ammonites, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. What I want to focus in today, now that we've had this context, is the lesson here. What is the lesson for us that we see in all of this? Well, let's look up in verse 6. 
Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. The Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he started to do things. He started to accomplish things. Things started happening. This is the same type of thing where the Spirit of God would come upon David. And David said, we would say the Spirit of God would come upon him and he, could, he, would, he would go and retrieve his, you know, a lamb of his flock from a lion or a bear. You know, this is not normal sort of activity for a teenage boy. But the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would do this. The Spirit of God came upon David and he would go and fight this giant Goliath when he was just somewhere around 15 or 16 years old. He would do this. We see the same sort of thing in, in the New Testament. Jesus promises that this same sort of thing can happen. If you look in John, in John chapter 7, Jesus spoke of this sort of thing. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So prior to His being crucified, Jesus spoke. He said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. And as the Scripture has said, out of His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And this He spoke of the Spirit. Jesus proclaimed that this same sort of thing will happen, that out of people will flow rivers of living water. This, it says, he spoke of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will be able to come out of a person who knows Him. And this will then affect people when the Spirit of God comes out. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Peter, they had gone from hiding in the upper room. Peter is filled with the Spirit. He stands up. He gives this message where thousands start coming to the Lord. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen... Stephen, he was not one of the apostles. He was just one of the deacons there in the church. Stephen gives this amazing message in Acts chapter 7. So, to just being a regular guy, not an apostle. Stephen, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 7. And if you, so, all of this Acts chapter 7, you know, he's going through this, 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 uh, this big testimony. And then if you look in verse 54, Acts seven fifty-four. Now when they heard this, this is Peter's speech, now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So you see, here is Stephen, gives this tremendous message. Just a regular man. Nothing particularly special about him. He wasn't an apostle. Lest you think this only happens to apostles. Stephen gives this this message where the people were cut to the quick. And it says, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And then look in Acts chapter chapter 8. There's Philip the Evangelist. 
In Acts chapter 8, verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. And Philip, again, not an apostle, just one of the men in the church who would wait on tables, it says, like Stephen did. Philip was so filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit would begin to speak to him and tell him to go to places and begin to share. Look in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been speaking. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, speaking about the leaders. Now as they, that's the leaders, observed the confidence. Acts chapter 4, 13. Observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. When they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize that they recognized them as having been with Jesus. When the Holy Spirit fills a person and the fir- person is in contact with Jesus, meaning that there's a relationship there. That person can, tr- can accomplish tremendous things in the kingdom of God. Tremendous things. And if you believe that that is not for you, that is only for other special people, you know what will happen? It will never happen through you. Because it will happen according to your faith. These men had never been to seminary. They were untrained. They were uneducated. Uneducated and untrained men are the men that Jesus did tremendous things through in the Scripture. You can do that. You can do that if you walk in faith. It says that the Spirit, once you've received the Spirit, and if you spend time with Jesus, this can happen. I have seen this again and again throughout my career. It bothers my colleagues in the religion department. How do I know? Because they have told me. It bothers them that students come to me to ask me about, ask me for religious-based advice. It bothers them. Because they are trained. I mean, I'm just a chemist. I know our molecules. But you know and I know The difference. It is the Spirit. So many times in my career, so many times, I will get on my knees before a lecture. I will be in a place where I'm giving a lecture in chemistry. And I'll say, Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. Remember, I was going to a... a, I was a, a new assistant professor and I was going to a what was called a Gordon Research Conference. And these are these conferences that are held mainly up in New England. Now they've started some on the West Coast as well. And you go away for a week with a bunch of other scientists and, and you, they rent out these small colleges that are all throughout New England. And you rent out this college for a week through the Gordon Conference Program and a group of, say, 100 chemists will get together. Or 75 chemists will get together and spend a week together and have lectures in the morning 
and then the afternoon is free, and then lectures again in the evening. And, and to those of you who aren't chemists, you think, how boring can it be? But it's, it's actually really exciting. So you get to hear these lectures. And I had no opportunity to speak, no chance to talk. I was a new assistant professor, and this is for much more senior people. But I had prayed. I said, Lord, open up the door. So the, the new people, they get, they, they get to do posters. And then one, one afternoon, you have a poster session. People go by and see your poster. But I had prayed, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. Fill me to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Let me meet the key people. And then as these key people would come, and I knew their names from the literature, and I would see their name tag, and I'm like, this is this guy that I've read all his words. And I'd grab them by their arm as they're going by. Let me show you this. And I'd start taking them through my poster and showing them this. And they'd, so often they would be staring at me and not at the poster. But I was so excited about this, and the Spirit, I knew the Spirit was filling me. And so that one night they said, we're going to open this up and we want this, this gym tour to come up here and just share for five minutes about his work. Just for five minutes about his work. And I just said, Lord, just open this door. So I got up and in five minutes I talked about my work. In that five minutes, I got job offers from two other universities. I had already been, I was employed at one university, so I got job offers from two other universities just because of that that one five-minute talk. Why? The Spirit does this. He does this. He impacts careers. This thing that happened to Saul was unusual in that day. Jesus said, out of your innermost being can flow rivers of living water. Jesus said this. Do you believe Him? Do you believe Jesus? Jesus said... Out of your innermost being, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But what was the preface to that? He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you are not thirsty, you will have nothing flowing out of you. It starts with a thirst. It starts with thirsting for him. I want Jesus. I want more of His life. It starts with thirsting for Him. And then, as the Spirit fills you in your career, whatever that is, whether you're a chemical engineer or a mechanical engineer or or an architect, God can fill you. If you believe this, and I say believe it, Jesus can fill you. Many people think, oh, well, you know, you were always so smart. I was not. I was not always so smart. And even so many times, there's so many things I don't know, and so I just keep my mouth shut, because the Bible says, even a fool is reckoned as wise if he keeps his mouth shut. And so when people are talking about literature and all these things that I should have read at some point in my life, rather than reading cliff notes and things like that, (laughs) you know, I just keep my mouth shut, and they think I'm wise. Jesus can fill you to overflowing. If you will do this, people will recognize that something's different. These leaders recognize that these men have been with Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and it was as if they had been with Jesus. You know, the the pastor was just speaking today, these these two verses that are so key in in this 
in this whole sort of thing. In, in Ephesians 3.20, this same sort of thing is, is spoken about. Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or, or think, according to the power that works within us. There is a power that works within us that the world doesn't have. I, to this day, feel that I have an unfair advantage over my colleagues. And it's that I'm a believer. And that I have the Holy Spirit working in me. So even the, just, just this week, just on, on, uh, on Friday, I, I called this, this one graduate student. We're just submitting a paper to this, this really important journal. And it's just going out for review. And I called him up on his cell phone. I said, where are you? He says, well, I'm just going to get lunch right now. I said, good. You have 15 minutes. Eat your lunch. Meet me at the chapel. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray that this paper gets, in, gets into this journal. And now, now this, this student is a believer. He, he, he's, uh, he's from China. He came to know the Lord about three years ago after he came to Rice. And so he met me there at the chapel. He came into the chapel. He says, I've never been in here. I said, you've never been in here? This is where you've got to come. This is the place where you pray. I said, let's go up to the front and get on our knees and pray. So we're praying over this scientific paper that we are submitting. Why? Because this is the work that God has called us to. To do scientific research and to submit these papers. This is what God has called me to. This is my work. I'm not a farmer. If I was a farmer, I'd be praying over my field. Alright? I am a chemist. So we're going to pray over these manuscripts as we send them out. Because the Holy Spirit works. If you don't want to do it, fine. But if you believe these things and let the Holy Spirit speak through you and be used of you, you can accomplish great things. The tragedy is, most believers never do this. And a student writes to me just this weekend. He said, you know, I want to, I'm going into this uh, REU program at, at Johns Hopkins. And, and this student isn't even at Rice. He's some student somewhere in the country. And he said, uh, um, I want to study nanotechnology and work on nano for medicine to find cures for people. I don't want to be working on something like making body armor for soldiers, using, using skills for that. And he says, what do you think about all this? I said, well, you know, I don't know what Jesus exactly thinks about what you're saying because if Jesus was a carpenter, like his earthly father, Joseph, like the one he grew up with, if he was a carpenter, we have no clue what he built. If he built, you know, beds for the disabled, or crutches for the invalid, or canes for those who had trouble walking, or if he built, you know, pulpits, or if he built dance floors. We have no idea what the man was building. We're building, we're not given a clue. I don't think God cares so much the product as our work as he does the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And then he emailed back, oh, I guess it might not be so bad to be making nanotechnology for body armor. It's purely defensive anyway. And uh, you see, God looks at the thoughts and intentions of our heart. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't need any of this. It says that he who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I never dreamed that I would be doing the things that I'm doing today. Have the group that I have today be working in the areas that I'm working in today. I don't know anything about this stuff. But we publish on it, and everybody thinks I'm an expert. And I just fly by the seat of my pants sometimes. God does more than we can ask or think. 
according to the power that works within us. This is what is there for the believer. This is what Saul took hold of. And he was able, without any training, just the book of Judges, he could attack the Ammonites. And in fact, this, this idea of sending these things out and saying, if you don't come and, and, and do this and fight with me, this is from the book of Judges too. In the book of Judges, the same sort of thing was done where they chopped up an animal and sent it out and say, if you don't fight with us, you're going to lose everything. Saul learned this from the book of Judges, which had been written, you know, in the hundred years or so before he was born. You know, over, over that period, it was written. He learned this. You will learn key things from this book. Look in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Colossians 1, 29. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. His power. Colossians 1, 29. His power which mightily works within me. The power of God can mightily work within the believer. The Spirit can come flowing out of the life of a believer. Whatever your career, whatever He has called you to, if you will take this and believe it, He can flow out of you mightily. And that doesn't mean you never mess up. You mess up all the time. The beautiful thing that is, is, that, that is in spite of us, He's able to work through us. That's the amazing thing. That in spite of all our weaknesses and how many times we blow it, He is willing and able to work in our lives and through us. This is what He will do in your life. This is what He will do in your career. You can do this. If the Spirit dwells within you, if you have received the Lord, and some people say, well, I received the Lord, I'm not sure if I have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says... If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So if you have any questions, ask Him. The Spirit will not be withheld and is not withheld from you. The thing that keeps the Spirit from flowing out is our unbelief and unwillingness to step out and pray to God. So often, my morning times are this. I will be on my knees before the Lord reading the Scriptures. And then after that, I am just marching around my, my house, just proclaiming things about Jesus. And just saying, God, do something great through my life. Help me with this task today. I have to write this manuscript. Father, give me the hands of a, of a scribe. Let me write this for you. This is what I do. And you know what he does? Go figure. He answers. Ah. Oh. What a novel concept. You ask God to fill you for the task that is before you, for whatever your work is, and He can do it, and He can fill you. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for it is true. Father, I pray for these young people, that You would so get a hold of their hearts, that they would be filled to overflowing, that out of their innermost beings would flow rivers of living water, which you speak of concerning the Spirit. Father, that rivers of living water would flow out. Father, that they would take hold of you in faith, take hold of your word in faith, and learn to pray and to ask you to pour out 
through their lives. Father, pour out great things through their lives, I pray. And have mercy on them. Use them mightily and for your glory. And I commit them to you. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.